All right, turn to Matthew 13 and see how long how this goes along with what we were talking about. If you don't have a Bible, click to your Bible. If you don't have any of those, just pull it up from memory. <laughs> All right. Parable of the sower. I know this was God because I didn't have this planned all week. So, <laughs> All right. The same day Jesus went out to the house, this is verse 1, and sat beside the sea, and the great crowds gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. The other seeds fell on the rocky ground, which they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up. But since they had no depth, the sun rose and scorched them. And since they had no root, they withered away. The other seeds fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them out. The others fell into good soil, produced grain, some hundredfold, sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You guys ever wondered what that means? He who has ears, let him hear. How many of you guys have ears? All right, so a majority of you have ears. The people who didn't raise their hand will pray for you. So Jesus is asking, asking them, are you listening? A lot of times, you guys ever read Scripture, never got a thing out of it? Let's just be honest. I mean, you guys ever read? Here's the thing is, without the Holy Spirit, Involved in Scripture, words on a page mean nothing to us. His Word is powerful because the Holy Spirit is behind it. So I've read Scripture. I was reading Scripture this week, and I'm like, what in the heck does this mean? I'm like, I wasn't getting it. You guys are just like, you're like, mm, 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 come on, get it. You're like, it's not catching. Like, something's not getting. It happens to everybody. And we can pretend it doesn't. We can, oh, yeah, I totally got that. No. Everybody gets that way. You read Scripture, and you're like, what is going on in this Scripture? I have no idea. And that's where Jesus asked us, do you have ears to listen to what I'm saying? Not, can you hear me? He's asking me, can you hear me to listen to me? Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? And a lot of times, let's just be honest, we're not. We get wrapped up in our own head. We get wrapped up in our own cares and concerns, and we're not. We, we don't have ears to hear what he is saying. But then the disciples say to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So keep, keep in mind, he's asking them, are you listening? So he's asking us, are we listening? And then he says to this to the disciples, he says, to you, you have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them they have not been given. Think about this. Those 12 and a few extra that were in Jesus' inner circle had been given the ability to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. That right there is a privilege. Think about this. We... we um, we're talking about, you know, 30 B.C., or excuse me, A.D., um, and we're talking about people who are going to the synagogues, they're going to temples every day, 
You've got the, the Jews and the, and the um, Samaritans. They're going to their temples. They're doing their, their, their readings. They're listening to what God is saying. But Jesus is asking them, are you listening to what I'm saying? They're hearing what he is saying, but are they listening to what he is saying? He says, so they do not have the ability to understand the kingdom of heaven. In verse 12, it says, for the, to the one who has more, excuse me, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even more will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's hearts have grown dull in their ears. They can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn I would heal them. You guys know what that, that last line is? And turn and I will heal them. Jesus is referring to Second Chronicles. He says, if they will repent, turn from their wicked ways, and call on my name, I will heal their land. It's pretty, uh, pretty poignant for the, the times we live in right now. But Jesus says, They, they see, they hear, but they cannot perceive it. There, there's a, a blinder on their eyes. They are, and, and he's not talking so much about the people he's preaching to. Jesus, a lot of times in these parables, he was using these parables to confound and bewilder the Pharisees because they knew it all. They could, we read the Torah. We, read, we understand what the book of Isaiah says. They understood what the book of Isaiah, excuse me, they could understand what the book of Isaiah said, but they could not perceive what the book of Isaiah was trying to tell them. Jesus, on multiple occasions, would quote the prophets and fulfill the prophecy that who, of who he was, but they did not understand who he was. The religious leaders were so able to understand what was happening in the scripture they could they could tell you oh well it was written in this time and it was written this time they could tell you what the word said but they couldn't tell you what the word meant he says i speak to them in parables because they do not see they do not hear nor do they understand think about this if you can't hear if you're deaf and you cannot hear, how are you going to understand what's coming out of my mouth? Jesus is saying they have spiritual deafness, they have spiritual blindness, and they are hard-hearted. But then Jesus says in verse 14, or excuse me, in verse 15, he says, but if they will turn, I would heal them. What's, what's crazy is there were so many people that would follow Jesus. He had his disciples. He had all these other people like Mary Magdalene that would follow him and Lazarus and his, his sister Mary and Martha, they would follow him and they loved Jesus. But when the pressure got put on a little bit, we saw that the people started to fall away from Jesus because the pressure got too great. 
They had eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, and their hearts were, hearts were not hardened, but that little bit of pressure started to push people away. And he says to the disciples here in verse 16, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus was telling them, you have a gift that was given to you that many people, righteous people, have waited for and were never, never able to perceive it, see it, hear it, and hold on to it. So he says, blessed are your eyes and ears, for you have seen the Messiah, you have heard the Messiah, and you've been able to perceive the Messiah. Religious leaders could only see what was in front of them. They allowed religion from stopping them, to stop them from seeing who Jesus was. Think about this. You, if you're a religious leader of that day, you are reading the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is very, very important to the Jewish people. They were reading this book. They were, they were talking about the coming Messiah. They were talking about his rule, his reign. They were talking about him coming and freeing his people. But they were so caught up in, in the, the part of it, in, in the, the routine of the Scripture, that they could not perceive anything outside of what was happening in, in the Word itself. They could not perceive the prophecies of who he was. They couldn't wrap their mind around someone who didn't come with a sword to destroy. The Jewish people are still waiting for a redeemer who is going to come with a sword and destroy their captives. And I think sometimes in our life, we allow the religion to, in our own lives, the things that we have known for so long to stop us from seeing who Jesus is. See, what happens in, in religion is this, is it constrains what you are to do, how you are supposed to do it, and what you can perceive. Some religions, it's perceive everything, and it's, uh, everything is good, and everything is is okay. And a lot of religions, they constrain. You can't do this. You can't read this. You can't see this. You can't talk about this. And I think sometimes we become like the Pharisees and we become so mindful of the Scripture that we lose mindfulness of the Savior. Well, we need to understand Scripture. Yes, we need to understand Scripture. You need to study Scripture. Get a concordance. Get a Bible dictionary. Understand what Scripture is, what it's saying. Study Get a book on the prophets and how they relate to the coming of Jesus Christ. You know that almost every book in the Old Testament refers to Jesus in some way, in multiple ways. Yeah. We need to understand Scripture, but we don't need to have so much knowledge that we lose the awe of who Jesus is. Because there's a lot of us who try to wrap our mind around Jesus. You can't. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Jesus is a person who we will never fully understand because he is God. We relate too much to him as the person and not as God. 
We relate to what he did, and we think, oh man, but we have to start to, to get out of that Pharisee mindset and start to look at him as the coming king of, of, of the salvation of the world and not just the man of Jesus Christ. And we have to start to take ourselves out of religious mindsets, out of, well, I have to read this many scriptures a day and I have to read this chapter and I have to do this. Guess what? If you don't read your Bible one day, it's not going to kill you. I had a person tell me, if I wasn't tithing, I don't know if I'd be alive today. That's the most insane thing I ever heard. But we, we, as humans, we try to create constructs of how things do, uh, rules to do things, how we should do this, how we should tithe, how we should, you know, is it this or is it that, however we're going to do it. We always create these boundaries that we put ourselves in. And Jesus is, is talking to the disciples and he's talking to the Pharisees saying, quit putting yourself within these constructs of who I'm supposed to be. Jesus did not come to make more rules. He says, I've come, I haven't come to destroy the law. What did he say? I've come to what? He says, I've come to fulfill the law. That means I've come to take all these rules and complete them. I mean, think about this. We could still, if, as Christians, we could go back to those laws and say, I'm going to live by all those laws. <laughs> Everybody's like, nah. uh <laughs> But think about this. We could take all those laws and put them back on ourselves. Well, I love Jesus, so I'm going to take these laws and put them back on myself. You know, you guys like bacon? <laughs> yeah. A lot of you like, you know what? The ones that didn't raise their hand, you're just in denial. You know you love bacon. There you go. And it's not turkey bacon because that's a heresy. And it's not that plant-based bacon because that's not even real. I'm talking bacon. And we could take that, those 600 plus rules and put them back on ourselves and you'd be like going by the aisle and you're going, oh man, that bacon looks good. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but think about this. We place ourselves within these rules. We, we place religious boxes on ourselves and, and these boundaries. And I'm not saying be off the wall crazy and do whatever you want. There are rules of living in the Scripture. And as we follow Jesus, there are rules to live by. But the Pharisees had placed themselves in this box of, I know it all, I've read the Scriptures, I know what these Scriptures say, that they couldn't see the Messiah standing 10 feet from them. My question is, is could we? Could we see him standing in front of us if he just looked like the average guy? Came in, long hair, scruffy looking, little weird, had a weird cousin, lived out in the woods. Could we see him for who he was? Or would he be talking to us who says, you have, don't have eyes to see, ears to hear, and your hearts are hard? You know, I, I think we want encounters with God, but we put the rules on how we want to encounter him. We're like, oh God, I need it this, I need this, for, I need to experience you, but we tend to put rules on him and, and how we're going to experience him. You know, I, I've, 
we come to church for the experience, to experience God, but I've been to all these different things. I've been to conferences and I see, you know, I've been to meetings and big speakers and I see people so willing to go to those for an experience with God. And I've had a better experience with God sitting on my couch talking to Him than I've had at these places. But we go to these places because we need to experience God. No, we don't. I've had more experiences with God that have changed me by sitting on the couch or sitting in my car talking to Him and He's changed me. But we're like, well, we have to have this. We've got to go to Tabernacle to experience the Holy, the Holy Father and experience the Son. No, we do not in our, in our living rooms, in our cars, on your lunch break. If you are hungry for it, if you have ears to hear, eyes to see, and your hearts are not hard, you will experience God. Yeah. Yes. The funny thing is, Jesus kept breaking the rules. One of my, one of my favorite um, ones is when his disciples are hungry, and I can't remember the, uh, the scripture reference right now, but they're hungry, and they go out and they take the, the heads of the wheat off and they start eating. And the Pharisees come up to him and say, how dare you eat that on a Sabbath? They're working to get that. They were so afraid of someone working on the holy day my question is, did you guys make breakfast this morning? Was, no, okay. So how many of you guys made breakfast? Raise your hand. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Did you drive a car here? Yes. That was work. You had to do something. My, 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 thought, my thoughts are this, is if we start to put ourselves back into these rules and regulations, we can start to limit how we're going to experience God. Well, God, I, I don't really, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. And God's like, I can help you with that. But you need to be able to listen to me, see me, and willing to soften your heart for, to me. Jesus kept breaking these rules and he's making them angry and he keeps breaking the, them more and more. And they're like, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? How dare you set someone free on the Sabbath? How dare you deliver someone from demons on the day that no one's supposed to work. And Jesus says, well, you know, what, what is it? Is it better for me to say you're healed or your sins are forgiven? And they're like, well, uh, 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 you're bad. And then they run away. <laughs> now think about it. He confounded them. He bewildered them with his words by what he did. What they didn't realize is that the fulfillment of the law was standing in front of them and they were quoting the law to him. He's like, hey, by the way, I know what that already says. They were, they were quote, it wasn't 10, and they weren't quoting the 10 commandments to him. They were like, hey, you know, the, this day and this day, you can't do this, and you're not supposed to do this, and you're not supposed to do this. And Jesus is like, try me. As we start to develop our relationship with God when you're born again, you, you start to hear Him better and you start to, to see what He's doing and start to, to, to experience Him in, in new ways. And, and, and as you grow older and, and more mature in Christ, the things that happen around us don't make much of a difference anymore. You know, when you're young and things are 
bad, the economy's bad, and you're young, and you're, you know, you're working a job, and you can barely pay your bills, you're just like, oh, you know, Jesus, come now, you know, and you're just like, take me home now, Jesus, you know, and as you get older and more mature, you realize the things of the world, the things that, the wars and the rumors of the wars and the troubles and the trials, they don't mean anything anymore. They start to fade away because our, our hope and our resilience starts to grow in who, in who Jesus is. But as we start to grow, religion starts to make less and less sense. As you start to experience Jesus, the person of Jesus, not the, this. Okay, so this, we all love coming to this, but if this didn't happen on a Sunday, Jesus is still here. Jesus is still with us. Jesus is still speaking to you. This is just for us to come and hear the word and to encourage each other, not for you to come and get fed. I'm not here to feed you. You're to feed yourselves. I'm here to encourage you on a Sunday. That is our job, to encourage you and empower you to go out, but your job is to eat daily. If you think it's my job to feed you, don't eat regular food for a week and see how that works out. I'm not coming to feed you. My job is to give you the Word of God and to encourage you to build your own relationship with Christ. I can't do it for you. I can give you little nuggets to take with you, and then you can dunk them in the sauce and eat them. I'm sorry. We had nuggets yesterday. My job is to give you and encourage you. Sarah's job is to encourage you on a Sunday to equip you to send you out, and your job is to feed yourself. If it was our job to feed you, you would be dead by now. We cannot feed an entire flock. But Jesus kept testing the rules. He's like, and they're like, this is the boundary. And Jesus is like, oh, really? And they're like, this is the boundary. And Jesus is like, oh, really? He's like, and then they're like, this is the boundary. You can't do this. He's like, oh, really? And then like, you can't do this. He goes, watch me. They're like, you can't heal on a Sunday. He's like, watch me. You can't deliver people from demons. He's like, watch me. You shouldn't be eating with sinners and tax collectors and women. Watch me. Think about it. Jesus called the tax collector to, to follow him. That Jesus' entire ministry, who he called, was an offense to the religious system of that day. Fishermen, tax collectors, random people, he called... Simon the Zealot. Do you understand who the Zealots were? The Zealots were people who were trying to kill people. This is a guy who probably had murdered people because that's what they were born for. They were raised to be assassins for the, uh, for the people of Israel to help release them from their captives. So think about this. Jesus is sitting with tax collectors, murderers, people who were raised to be murderers. That's a really ragtag group of people. It's like the motley crew of, 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 of church. And every person Jesus called into his ministry was offense to the religious system of that day. The, uh, Mary Magdalene was an offense to that system of that day because he was a rabbi and he talked to a woman.
Yeah. <laughs> but their hearts were not open to perceive and decipher what the Scripture was saying. They were looking for a physical kingdom. They were looking for a, a Savior who came with a sword on a horse and was going to ride in, destroy the Romans, raise up an army, destroy the Romans, and set them free. They've been waiting a while. They're still waiting. They're going to be greatly surprised. But Jesus rode in on a donkey, a lowly donkey, but it was a, it was a representation of peace. It was a representation of humbleness, Jacob set out a donkey with valuable stuff to his brother because he was being hunted by his brother and said, hey, I want peace with you. He sent out a donkey with gold and valuable items because he knew that he had to have peace. So Jesus comes riding on a donkey and they're like, Jesus is the Savior. And they're like, yay. And then they're like, he's riding on a donkey. And they're like, wait a minute. They were waiting for a king to ride in with a sword and he's riding on a donkey and palm leaves are being laid before him. And he's like, I didn't come for the sword, I came for peace. The Jewish people were expecting a king to set his foot on the throne and to sit at a throne, but he's like, I've come to set up a kingdom that is in your hearts, in your minds, in your lives that can't be controlled. Why is Christianity such a threat to every religion, every um, government? It's because it doesn't live in the physical. It lives in our hearts and our minds and in our lives, and they can't control that. Jesus is like, it's live, it's, the kingdom is going to be internal. It's not going to be external. There's going to be a time where his kingdom is an external kingdom in the future. But he's like, this is an internal kingdom that they cannot control, that they cannot overthrow. Jesus in Isaiah 61 reveals himself as the one who is to come. The prophecy that they could not perceive and receive him from. Isaiah 61, he says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives, or excuse me, liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to the, the ones who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance to comfort all those who mourn. Jesus reveals himself as the Savior, as the one Isaiah prophesied, And they still try to kill him because they did not have the capacity to see a savior outside of what they had created in their minds. There was no indication in scripture that he was coming to set up a kingdom of violence and retake his, and retake his throne. But they perceived it in their heads. They said, well, if he's coming back, he's got he's to take up his sword and he's going to slay the Romans and he's going to you know, get rid of them and, I, and then he's going to sit on the throne. And Jesus is like, you do not understand because you have created your own idea of what God is going to do. Religion tells you this is how God should operate. 
A relationship with God says, God, whatever you need to do in my life to make me right with you, you will do. When we're, when we're born again, and we have that relationship with Christ, we can look back at those times and remember those times before we had a relationship with Him when there was those, those moments where we now realize that was God knocking on the door. Someone was there knocking on the door for Him saying, hey, there's an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. And as we look back, we're like, man, I missed that opportunity. I missed that moment where my life would have changed. Or I missed that opportunity when someone was talking to me and I just blew it off because I thought they were nuts or crazy or whatever. But now as believers, we're like, man, someone had told me about Jesus and I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And that's what was happening with the, the Pharisees. They were not aware of the presence and the power of God standing in front of them. Think about this. People were bringing their sick, paralyzed, whatever people to Jesus. Woman of the issue of blood, she touches. She had enough faith to think, all I need to do is touch the little bit of a fray at the bottom of his garment and I will be healed. They were bringing sick and, and demon-possessed people to them, people that were paralyzed, and, and Jesus was healing them. And these Pharisees were watching these healings, and they're like, oh, you're the son of the devil. You're the devil. And Jesus is like, are you dumb? So he goes, you're calling me the devil, and you're saying the devil's casting out the devil in the name of the devil, and then you know, what does he say? He says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. They were not aware of the presence of a holy God standing in front of them. Think about these Pharisees. They got to see God in flesh, and they still rejected him. The most powerful person on the face of the earth, the creator of heaven and earth, the word that was with God and was God was standing in front of them and they're like, nah, that's not him. If they can reject him as the holy God in physical form, the sacrificial lamb standing in front of them, it can be very easy for us to overlook Him in our lives. Even as Christians, even as followers of Jesus Christ, even if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, there's a lot of times that we can be blinded to the Holy God standing in front of us or in front of us saying, this is what I have for you. Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says, it says, And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. 
for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That's a slap in the face. Think about this. They're like, he taught with authority. There was power in what he said. There was authentic, authenticity in what he said. And we felt something different in what he said. But not like the scribes. They just read. That's like a New Testament mic drop right there. I mean, that's just like, that's like, but not as scribes and just walking away. But think about this. The people, their hearts were burning when Jesus was speaking. They felt the power. They felt the authority of what he was saying. He was taking the same scripture that the scribes read and he was preaching it with power. Not, and you shall do this and then you shall not do this and then blah, 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 blah. And they're like, He's teaching with power. God spoke this to the people in the Old Testament. says, if you call on my name, if you humble yourselves and you pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear you from heaven. And I will forgive you your sin and I will heal your land. Jesus was doing the same thing. He was preaching the good news of the gospel. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And he said, oh, by the way, my cousin said it's at hand. I'm saying it's at hand. Do you not see what's going on? You see, but you do not perceive it. The kingdom of God was at hand. And they're like, where? Where's the king? where's Where's he coming? They couldn't perceive what was happening. It's, it's what you would call an upside-down kingdom. It was, we're waiting for rule and reign, and Jesus is like, I'm re- willing to rule and reign in your hearts. They're like, we want the sword, and we want ex- to expel the Romans and to be a, a sovereign nation. And Jesus is like, if you follow me, you will be my people. The great thing about us is this, is we have the same revelation that the disciples do. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures that we can perceive and hear and see what He is doing. The problem is, is half the time we don't. We, we, we see the Scripture and we're like, I can't get anything out of this. Well, God, I don't understand what's, what is he saying. Jesus spoke in parables because people were dumb. I'm just, he's like, you're spiritually dumb. You can't get it. So, in verse 18, the disciples are like, hey, that was a really good sermon. We totally got that. But explain it a little more just so we can, you know, we know. No, they asked. They're like, um, what do you mean by that, Jesus? You know, explain a little more so we, we fully get the uh, revelation of it. No. They, they were struggling to understand it too in some points. And he says here, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the, the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown.
This is what was sown along the path. As for the sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yes! Thank you, Jesus! But does nothing with it. It doesn't put root down. It only endures for a period of time. You ever had revelation in church? Like, yeah, this is great. God gives you a revelation. And then by the time you get home, you're like, oh, what was that? Yeah, slap yourself once for that. No, I'm just kidding. Don't slap yourself. Look to the person next to you. No, I'm, and, and, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But we re, they receive it with joy. Yes, thank you. I got this. Oh, it's so good. And then a day later, they're like, I don't. Uh, uh. What was that? What was that message about at church? All right. Then, it says, the word that was thrown among the the thorns, the seed that was thrown among the thorns, gets choked out. That's the worries, the cares of life. The word is given to you. God gives you a word. God gives you a revelation of his word. And then you're like, yes, this is so good. I love this. Thank you, Jesus. I'm set free. I'm set free. And three months later, you're like, Jesus, where are you? I need to be set free from this. Because what happens is the worries of life, the things of life start to come in and they start to take that word and they start to to cover that word. Oh, I had a word. God said he's going to bless me and I'd I'd be, you know, my finances were going to increase. And then a month later, the washing machine breaks down, the fridge breaks down, the car's not working, and something else. You're like, Jesus, you lied to me. You said this was going to happen. And the thorns start to cover up, and the weeds start to cover up what was happening. But the good soil... This is the one who hears the word, understands it, and bears fruit and yields a harvest. In some cases, a hundredfold, 60 and 30. Here's the thing is, Jesus is not putting pressure on you. He's saying what you hear may produce 30, it may produce 60, and it may produce a hundredfold, but don't put pressure on yourself to create something Our job is to not create. Our job is to be fertile soil. Our hearts are to be tilled up so Jesus can plant in our hearts. It is not our job to decide what the harvest is. Our job is just to be soil that can be planted. So my question to you is, are are you creating a, a place where God can grow a garden and can grow what needs to be in your heart? Or are you saying, well, you know, I, I'm okay with this. I'm holding on to this. And you, I'll give you like a three-foot area over here, God. I'll give you this part of my heart and I want you to grow here, but I'm not going to let you have the rest of it. What he's saying is, is if you will have a soft heart, if you will let me work on your heart, there will be a harvest. It may not always be what you want but it will benefit you. 
Sometimes you're like, God, I, this is what I want from you, and this is what I need in my life. And God's like, no, it's not really what you need in your life. You, this is what you need in your life. And sometimes he doesn't tell us what we need. He just injects that into our life. <coughs> but if you hear the word and receive it, hearing the word and receiving it. Not just hearing the word. What, what is... Uh, thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, is you need to hear the word, receive the word, and start to live that word out. Mm-hmm. That word has to do something inside of us to change us to live it out. That's what being good soil is, is the word comes into our life, changes us, and then Jesus can plant the seeds in us. But it's not our job to decide the harvest. Our job is to be a place where God can work. And the harvest is his his concern. Our job is just to be a vessel to be that ground, to be that person that will receive and hear from God and say, yes, Lord, I will. His job is the harvest. His job is how much we bear. Everybody's like, I want to go for 100. Yes, but 60 is still a harvest. 30 is still a harvest. So we've received the revelation of Jesus Christ like the apostles did. We've seen, we have seen through Scripture, we see what He has done. We have a greater revelation than the people that were with Him at that moment sometimes because we, saw all of his, we see all of His works, all of what He's done, what He has done for us, what He continued to do after He went back to the Father. My question is, is are we hearing it? Are we listening for it? Are we seeing it, and are we perceiving what He is doing? Because so many times we're just like, we get going with life. You ever been so busy, you're like, oh, I haven't done this, and I haven't done this. You know, like, and He's like, I just need you to spend a couple moments with me. One minute with God can change your entire walk of life. And He's just like, I just need you to be able to perceive what I am doing. What is it? Isaiah 54, 45 says, can you not see what I'm doing? I'm doing a new thing. I'm creating rivers in a wasteland. He, he's doing something, but it's how we perceive what He is doing. Are we able to perceive what He is doing? So my question is, do you have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to be planted? Is your heart good soil for Jesus? Is your heart good soil for the kingdom of God to grow things? Let's pray.